Welcome to the Healthy Returns Podcast, where I sit down with founders, investors, and executives innovating in health tech, fitness, and wellness in human performance. My guest today is Dr. Patrick Carroll, Chief Medical Officer of Hims and Hers. Hims and Hers is a leading virtual telehealth platform providing care for stigmatized and chronic conditions such as sexual health, hair loss, acne, and obesity. In today's episode, we discuss holistic care models, the post-pandemic adoption of virtual health, and Hims and Hers' expansion into cardiovascular disease and obesity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's episode. Hi, Dr. Carroll. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's great to be here, Nolan. I'd love for you to briefly talk through your background as a primary mm-hmm. care physician, and then, of course, going on to becoming CMO at Walgreens and now landing as CMO at Hims and Hers. Yeah, great. So I, I have what I would call a nonlinear career path. Uh, I've done a lot of different things. And in some ways, they're very connected. In other ways, if you look at it on the surface, you go, well, how does this all fit together? And so, you know, I I was very focused on undergrad and through med school at Dartmouth to, to go into primary care. I actually became involved with a program called the National Service Corps, which paid for my medical school, which I was very fortunate to get that scholarship. In return, I committed to do four years uh, serving in an underserved area after I completed my residency. So going from Dartmouth and then doing my residency in family medicine in Connecticut, I actually went to the Indian Health Service and served on Navajo Reservation in Shiprock, New Mexico. I, I love the work. Uh, fortunately, my wife is a nurse, and so she fit right in doing OB nursing out there. And so really, my four years initially with the Indian Health Service really informed the rest of my career. And so what I saw was an area of the country that is really unrecognized by many in this country. And that that is really underserved, uh, some significant socioeconomic challenges, but an ideal area to really apply a lot of the concepts of population health before that was even recognized as a term. And so if you look at the Navajo area, it's the size of West Virginia, about 400,000, almost 400,000 Navajos live out there. And we provide health care through the federal government in the Indian Health Service. So you have uh, centralized hospitals that cover a region. I was assigned to Shiprock, New Mexico, and I did full scope primary care out there coming out of my residency. And so I did obstetrics. I did uh, really nursery all the way up in terms of the uh, ages that we serve. I saw there's tremendous public health issues, but... Also saw saw that if you really focus in on some of the chronic conditions, some of the public health issues, you can make a real impact in terms of delivering quality of care. So that really informed the rest of my career, being able to use limited resources in terms of the financial spend to actually get great results. And so coming out of uh, doing four years with the Indian Health Service, I, I went back east. I grew up in Massachusetts, and so I set up a practice in uh, Concord, New Hampshire, and for 28 years did primary care. I, I loved doing primary care. It was a very traditional uh, care model, which was essentially I had a panel of patients, which was over 3,000 patients. I saw them in the hospital. I saw them in my office really working eight to five, but then rounding in afterwards uh, in the hospital. In traditional primary care and family medicine, you took care of, you know, in family medicine, the whole uh, family, you know, from the kids right through the geriatric group. And I I really enjoyed it. 
I saw the challenges of it, though, you know, increased prevalence of chronic conditions through the years, more socioeconomic challenges in terms of delivering good primary care. And quite honestly, that the labor model was very challenged, and that is not enough primary care physicians and um, an increased incidence prevalence of chronic conditions. So you had a limited resource, which is providers, to manage a growing need in terms of chronic uh, conditions, things like diabetes, COPD, cardiovascular disease. So although I enjoyed all of my work, I also saw the challenges of that traditional model. And so when I, uh, you know, turned age 50 and my last child was off to college, I actually went back to the Indian Health Service where I started from. And from 2009 to 2011, I did a project with the federal government to reduce really the, the challenge of mental health issues for adolescents on Navajo reservation. So I set up school-based health clinics out there. I worked at a adolescent medicine clinic in Shiprock, New Mexico. And it was, it was fascinating work. It was kind of back to the future where I had practiced 25 years before. I went back there and did more of a public health type project focused on adolescent mental health. And so it really reinforced to me how mental health issues actually tie into primary care. So when I finished there in 2011, I returned to the East Coast. I took a job as a regional chief medical officer at Atrius Health, which is a, at the time was a huge multi-specialty group, 2,000 uh, providers, and did a lot of population health work for them. We were one of the first groups to be involved with Medicare Shared Savings Program and something called the Pioneer ACO. So essentially, you took risk uh, for quality and cost of care for a defined group over age 65. And so I, I really liked the work at Atrius because they were focused on value-based care before a lot of systems were even focused in on that. By not having a hospital network as part of our group, we really could focus in on where the care could be delivered best and in the most economical value-based way. And so after a few years at Atrius, <clears throat> I actually had the opportunity to take a chief medical officer position uh, for a clinical integration network at Hartford Healthcare, over 2,000 providers in Connecticut. And it was the first experience I had to actually be a medical leader in an integrated delivery network. You know, these systems that are now so prevalent in our, our country, you know, six or seven hospitals, the entire medical group, mental health services, home health services, all intertwined in a delivery network. I, I, I enjoyed that work, but I also saw the challenges of the integrated delivery network and delivering high value care. You know, not all the time were the incentives aligned since we didn't have a payer arm at Hartford Healthcare at that time. The motivation at times was, you know, to really deliver high quality care, which was always, you know, table stakes for the system. But it was also, um, it was tied in with a hospital networks. And when that shift went to value-based care, occasionally that did not align uh, from where the health system was coming from because the savings that you're able to achieve really benefited the, you know, the, the payer more so than the health system. So I enjoyed the work at Hartford Healthcare. I learned a lot about the integrated delivery network in this country. Um, but when an opportunity came up after a few years to go to Walgreens to initially oversee all of their retail clinics, which was a really interesting model at the time, delivering um, health care and small retail clinics in Walgreens, I, I really uh, was enthused and took that opportunity. 
at Walgreens from 2014 to 2019. I oversaw the retail clinics and then became more involved with their strategy as they saw the opportunity to offer consumer-facing care to a customers who were coming in and out of Walgreens every day for pharmacy services. And so we expanded our retail clinics, but then we also looked at how we grew that primary care footprint beyond retail health. You see retail health really is focused on probably only 30 kind of low acuity conditions. And Walgreens uh, pivoted to bring in true primary care practices through their relationship with Village MD, which is a full primary care model, full scope of care right in the stores themselves. So I, I was involved in the initial pilots uh, with Village MD at Walgreens and, and really enjoyed that work. You know, 2019, I took a total shift in, in my focus. I said, pre-pandemic, looking at what was happening in healthcare, there was a lot of startups in digital and telehealth. And I was kind of fascinated by that model. Again, it was very consumer-centric. Access was there because you could get care 24-7 through a digital telehealth platform. And I thought those models were fascinating and, and really uh, provided not only access, but high-quality care. And so I went and joined Hims and Hers really in the early days of the company. I think the company was only a year and a half old when I joined. I was one of the initial employees. And what we did is we expanded from 25 states to 50 states within a year, built out the provider network, the virtual provider network, you know, as we expanded into various states and also increased the scope of care. Initially, Hims and Hers was really focused on dermatology, uh, sexual health. Um, and then we expanded into uh, mental health, which is actually one of the fastest growing uh, verticals at Hims and Hers. And through the you know my four years there, uh, now we're getting into primary cardiovascular prevention through offering compounded medications, com combining a statin with the PDE5, which is a traditional Viagra type medications to reduce primary to re reduce cardiovascular risk. And then also we're getting into weight management management these days. So what I loved about Hims and Hers, it really was very consumer focused. Initially, really the focus was on a demographic, millennials and younger, but we've really expanded. Really anybody above the age of 18 can really go online, Google up a symptom, a condition they have, get connected to content that we've curated, and then get directed to our platform, which is a you know, virtual provider network in, in the states that will allow it. We do a lot of asynchronous care. So it's really chat-based care. And if you qualify for medications, we do the pharmacy fulfillment. So medications get sent to you from our platform. So if you actually look at the, the entire continuum of my career so far, I, very traditional primary care, but really informed by my early days in, with the Indian Health Service and, the, and that population health bent right through to a you know large multi-specialty group leadership to an integrated delivery network and then to a consumer facing retail health company like Walgreens and now where I am today at Hims and Hers in a I would say a really consumer friendly healthcare offering in in digital virtual health. So it's things fit together, although in retrospect I never planned to do each one of these thinking that at the end of the day I'd be working for a virtual health company. That's that's a fascinating arc that that you've had. When you explain it like that, it, it makes total sense. Kind of chosen to approach primary care with now the telehealth and the direct direct consumer model at at Hims and Hers. You mentioned some of the you know 
initiatives that Hims and Hers started with, right? You have dermatology, hair loss, sexual health, and now moving more into the chronic disease space. I think that's such an important model in targeting millennials, because if you can get millennials to think about their health early on in their lives, then I, I view that as the, the greatest form of preventative medicine. So I'm, I'm 22 years old now. And I know for me, thinking about my health um, using, you know, a company like Hims and Hers, I know that it'll set me hopefully on a path to being cognizant of my health um, for, for decades to come. So what is the current demographic uh, for the customers of Hims and Hers? Is it still the millennial? Yeah, it's, re it's really expanded um, quite a bit. Going back to when the company was founded, it, it really was founded on really the normalization of health and wellness. Initially, we talked about stigmatized conditions, things like some of the challenges folks have with sexual health, some of the challenges they have with things like acne and hair loss, but it's really expanded into other areas, as you said, kind of chronic uh, conditions, particularly primary cardiovascular disease prevention through our compounded medications with the PDE5s and the statins, um, and now into weight management, which is a chronic condition in many ways for folks. So we really expanded kind of our, our base demographic in terms of age. It's really founded on that normalization of care, offering personalized care, particularly as we get into more um, you know, compounding of medications that are really targeted in a personalized manner to folks. But it's it's also uh, still about access to care and affordability. So the great majority of our customers actually have insurance, but many have high deductible health plans. So they pay $1,500 out of pocket before their insurance even kicks in. So think of it almost as catastrophic insurance. So our customers are willing to pay out of pocket and we're a cash pay business. We totally disintermediate entities such as PBMs and payers. We don't submit to insurance companies. But if you pay $35 or $40 a month and you get complete 24-7 access to a provider and you get medication sent to you if you qualify, they love that model because at the end of the year, they're paying less than their deductible to get care on their own schedule. One of the reasons that I actually was fascinated by Hims and Hers and joined the company is I had three 30-year-olds at the time. And I saw the way they access care was very different than the way I access care. They actually went online, put in their symptoms, researched it, and then wanted 24-7 access. I can tell you what they don't do. They don't go on a health systems website and say, well, gosh, I need to connect with a primary care provider. It's just not how they access care. And I think that is going to be the, the new model of care is this you know, the, this younger generation actually ages, they, they have different demands. They want care on their schedule. Uh, they want something that's affordable and they're willing to pay out of pocket as long as they see that they're getting something in terms of education, medications, if, if indicated, and really follow up on their schedule as opposed to what a traditional health system will offer. So I think one thing that we're doing at Hims and Hers as we mature and grow, we're integrating more with traditional healthcare. That whole primary cardiovascular uh, prevention initiative is, is supported through a collaboration with the American College of Cardiology. So they're very much in tune with what we're doing. If you actually look at folks with cardiovascular risk, they come on our website 
particularly for sexual dysfunction every day. Thousands of patients come on and we see about 30% of those patients have significant cardiovascular risk. For example, hypertension or history of smoking or family history or over age 50. And to be able to offer them a combination medication that will take care of their issues with erectile dysfunction at the same time, a statin for cardiovascular prevention is very valuable. We think it will help with adherence because quite honestly, 50% of folks that should be on a statin and a started on a statin don't continue or adhere to those medications after a year. We think we're going to be able to improve adherence. The other aspect to it is that erectile dysfunction is a harbinger three to five years from the onset of erectile dysfunction. Many of these folks will develop cardiovascular uh, disease, and so we're catching it early. That's why we have the support of the American College of Cardiology. They just look at it as a really innovative way to deliver primary cardiovascular protection. So as we mature as a company, we just see tremendous opportunity to both personalize but to normalize some of these conditions particularly in the preventive space, everything we're going to do in weight management, you know, we look at it as a preventive measure to, to uh, really reduce chronic disease risk down the line that comes with obesity. It's interesting you said that, said that last part. When I think uh, preventive health, I think of you have your pills and like medication interventions that you can use, but, you know, there's also lifestyle interventions. Right. right? Um, and, you know, also focusing again from like we were talking earlier from a, from a macro perspective on policy and legislation and systematic change. So beyond the offerings of, of pills and, you know, some of the over the counter solutions that HIMS and hers may offer to these chronic conditions, is HIMS working in that space of, you know, lifestyle behaviors? Or, or anything of that nature. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at what we're creating for weight management, which is going to launch in this, this January, um, a lot of it is around dietary education, really about uh, different diets that, you know, can be effective. Mm -hmm. and, and we're really focused on the personalization. And so we actually look at the different, you know, we call them almost phenotypes, you know, are you overweight? Do you have significant risk for pre-diabetes for those folks that metformin medication can be very effective in terms of weight management, but also uh, prevention of progression into diabetes. There are folks who are overweight and, and um, are really challenged with, you know, types of foods, the excessive amount of, you know, carbonated sweetened beverages, and, and, and we will educate them about, you know, what an appropriate diet is. So it's not just all about the medication, the foundation is really a holistic approach to weight grounded on education, uh, dietary direction, and then if indicated, really uh, targeted, tailored medication that actually is focused on the individual uh, customer. And so what we're doing, and we've publicly reported this, is actually to combine generic medications, you know, things like Topramax, Metformin, Bupropion, and naltrexone in various combinations focused in on the individual customer. Initially, we're not going down the road of the GLP-1s and GIPs. They're, they're not affordable. Um, it's still early days on those medications. And we feel like we can get great results just using medications that have been very effective um, in treatment of obesity 
as long as you combine that with a nutritional program and a virtual education. And so that's really the focus of the program that we're going to uh, be doing. You know, obesity is, is a tremendous public health issue in this country. And so that's why we felt we needed to get into that space because we are really focused um, as we expand into preventive health care. You talked personalized medicine there. I'm curious to know if any at-home testing is integrated into the, the HIMSS and HERS uh, model. That's a great question. So we just announced a relationship with LabCorp. So our physicians, and we have over 600 providers on our platform, our, our physicians and nurse practitioners can actually order lab tests through the LabCorp platform. And then in close to 3,000 drawing stations around the country, our customers can get the labs that are required for us, for example, to start on medications for obesity management. Most folks will need to have a creatinine, so we'll be able to do that. Folks who are on the primary cardiovascular protection medication, the combination of the PD-5 and statin, will be able to get the lipid profile done at LabCorp. So we've opened up access to you know the LabCorp uh, platform, which is nationwide and is really opening up you know the possibilities of where what we can do in chronic disease management you do need the capabilities of getting lab tests as you expand your scope so that partnership is is pretty recent yeah it is in the last few months i want to shift the focus of this conversation now to you know just one, I'm I'm wondering how hims and hers is getting consumers to think about their health when they don't have any sort of jarring symptom or you know there there's no no event in their life where they're going online and they're looking up health conditions and symptoms and then trying to self-diagnose themselves because I feel like in my generation and millennials it's we're starting to think a lot not only about how do we get better, but how do we stay healthy and stay healthy for longer? So thinking about longevity and health span and that sort of thing. So how do you bring that consumer and that customer to, to the HIMSS and HERS platform? Right. So what we see is more so that in my generation, the younger generation is actually really interested in becoming more proactive to understand how they stay healthy, how they can prevent you know, the chronic conditions that they see that their parents or their grandparents have developed through poor diet, not paying attention to some of the uh, behaviors that lead to chronic conditions. And so we actually have a whole team that creates or uh, surfaces curated content around education, whether that be in dermatology, whether that be in sexual dysfunction, whether that be in cardiovascular disease, whether that be in obesity, such that someone can come on to our platform and just learn quite a bit about various conditions and what kind of measures you can take to prevent you from getting into that area of chronic uh, conditions. So we actually see the younger consumer as a lot more proactive than prior generations and very much interested in in their own health care and not willing to accept that it's inevitable that they get diabetes or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or obesity. And so, you know, we're their partner in terms of education and prevention. I'm wondering where does like the traditional primary care doctor fit into all this now? I mean, you 
you explained your um you know your career going from traditional primary care to retail clinics and then to now to a direct d to c um, primary care model so is that is the traditional model going away or is it going to be integrated in some sort of other way we don't want to disintermediate the primary care physician that was my background i saw the huge value of that particularly as you get into more complicated chronic conditions you know a, a diabetic you know, on five or more meds that also has hypertension and has cardiovascular disease, uh, we're not going to manage that full scope on our platform. We can normalize and prevent many of those conditions, but there will always be a role for a primary care provider, particularly for the more chronic, complex patients. You need to have a primary care provider. That being said, I saw a recent uh, data that says 100 million Americans don't have access to primary care. Even when we look at mental health, which is a big uh, vertical that we offer for anxiety and depression in a, one of our fastest growing areas on hims and hers, there in the next year is going to be a shortage of 30,000 psychiatrists in this country. And so it takes, I, I also saw data that over eight to 10 weeks to even access a mental health provider. And so by providing access to mental health care, just focus on anxiety and depression on our platform, you can connect with the provider, get medications if indicated, and then get followed in a high quality way uh, through our platforms. So we're not trying to displace the primary care provider. What we're trying to do is provide access to care to supplement what they do day in and day out. And so we see ourselves as really dovetailing into traditional primary care. We don't have the intent to take over primary care. There's going to always be a role for in-person brick and mortar care with a primary care provider. I think the, uh, the challenge is just the aging demographic and just the labor supply and primary care and mental health care in this country is a real barrier and so we look at ourselves as we can help solve some of those issues, but we still need to do this in conjunction with the traditional model. I love that subscription model, though, because I think it further incentivizes the customer um, and the consumer to, you know, not only do that initial consultation where where they're, you know, if they, if they have some sort of mental health challenge where they're prescribed SSRIs, for example, but then that subscription model, I think brings that extra layer of incentive to follow up with, you know, whoever they're speaking to. Are customers speaking to the same PCPs after the initial consultation? Yeah. So we, we, we do emphasize continuity of care, and, but we also give customers a choice if, you know, after their initial visit, if, if they wish to see the same primary care provider, we will facilitate that. What we see is a lot of our customers will opt for convenience over continuity, but particularly in mental health, we try to make that as a um, continuous follow-up with the same provider as much as possible. But if, if you know, more acute condition, you know, we do regular follow-up, you know, asynchronously, for example, for mental health, six weeks after starting, four to six weeks after starting medication, we send out a communication, including a GAD7 and a PHQ9, how are you doing? fill this out so we can gauge their improvement or lack of improvement and get them, you know, tied back in with the, the prescriber. Um, so we have regular follow-up with these customers. If they have, you know, more of an escalation of their symptoms, though, we prioritize access more than continuity, uh, which we think is important. And that's really what our customers want.
but we try we try as much as possible to continue at that same provider. What are some of the next um, couple initiatives that that Hims and Hers is gonna gonna take on? You know, obviously the you know with this year alone announcing the weight loss, the heart health, and then mental health always being a a, a main staple. Yeah, so you know we, we we explore all of the needs of our customers um, as we're very consumer focused, and and look, this is what we focus in on: where can we deliver care that is needed, but also in a way on a virtual platform, many times in an asynchronous modality, where we can provide the same high quality care in a virtual environment as opposed to a brick and mortar environment. There are some conditions where that just can't be achieved. So that those are conditions that we cross off and say, you know what, today uh, we're not ready to, to offer that. But there are many um, that we look at and say, well, there's a need, there's a shortage of providers to do that in traditional brick and mortar. And we can provide that type of care in a safe and effective manner in a virtual environment. So there's probably six to eight that we've considered conditions to launch. And I, I won't share those with you, but it's just stay tuned because we're always exploring new areas where we can provide high quality care. Just look what we've done in the last six months, primary cardiovascular disease prevention, weight management, and then as we look at other opportunities, many of them will tie in with that same concept of kind of normalizing uh, healthcare for folks who have significant access and, and economic challenges to manage those conditions. So we're really excited about the future and, and all the other areas that we can get into. But we do it really thoughtfully. You know, we didn't jump into weight management right away. We kind of stepped back, looked at the space and looked at where we can offer the most value. The weight loss announcement, at least to the public, was a few months after the original boom of GLP-1 drugs. So that definitely makes a lot of sense. I want to close with with this question. So in, in 2019, I saw a keynote presentation that you gave about the evolution of care. And you described how in your last role of expanding the retail clinics at, at Walgreens, you faced pushback and, you know, you faced naysayers and people that didn't think that that's where the model was heading. And you described then facing that same pushback um, with telehealth when originally joining Hims and Hers. So wh where are we now with that? What's the, what's the sentiment like um, from, you know, payers, providers and traditional health systems? It's interesting. Things happen really quickly in healthcare, but then again, they they occur fairly slowly at the same time. And I didn't anticipate when I joined Hims and Hers in May of 2019 that the and pandemic was going to hit. And what the pandemic did, if there was any benefit to it at all, was that it it really accelerated the adoption and acceptance acceptance of virtual healthcare. You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, literally many of the brick and mortar in person locations almost shut down, right? And even traditional health systems had switched to a virtual environment. So coming out of the pandemic, we saw a huge acceptance by providers, but also uh, patients, customers on virtual care. What we've seen though, as coming out of the pandemic is there are some areas that have really sustained themselves in virtual care environment, that being mental health, I would say dermatology also, 
but much of the traditional ambulatory primary care has gone back to brick and mortar. So it's as we look forward, I, I see things like virtual mental health is going to continue to grow. Some niche areas like uh, dermatology will continue to grow in the vir virtual environment. And then I also see as our capabilities expand in virtual care, you know, some virtual primary care and chronic disease prevention will continue to grow. I think the pandemic, if anything, just really accelerated the change in our traditional healthcare system and even traditional integrated, you know, delivery networks and, and physician networks have uh, embraced virtual care and are incorporating it into their traditional model. Dr. Carroll, this was a, a great conversation. Really, thank you for your time. And thanks again for doing this. Great. Thanks, Nolan, for having me.